Welcome to Fellowship Podcast. We're so excited you tuned in. For more information about who we are, check out our website at fbclife.org. Thanks for listening. Hey, good morning, church. Uh, It is great to be with you. Thank you for joining us online as well. Hey, yesterday we had our student fall retreat called Refresh, and we had an incredible time. Uh, The reason my voice is a little bit hoarse is because the amount of wooing that I did yesterday was a clear indicator that Ric Flair still has a deep influence on my life. Now, if you're wondering, who's Ric Flair? YouTube it. Google it. You'll understand the amount of wooing that took place. And it was amazing. Zero regrets. Zero regrets. So we had a good time yesterday. And we are going to continue in our series with what it means to be with Jesus. See, in our cultural moment, what Christians, what we don't need is to have to be so weird and so strange and so odd that we're just, uh, that the culture is just off-putting. We also don't need to be so much like the world that we are indistinguishable from everyone else. What our culture needs more than anything right now is for the culture to realize that Christians have been with Jesus that day, that they've been with Jesus because, listen, we're going through the same pandemic as everyone else. We're going through the exact same election cycle as everyone else. And as Christians who are with Jesus handle those things differently. We go to our jobs, handle it differently. The way we uh, approach our family is different. All because we have been with Jesus that day. So today what we're going to talk about is when we are with Jesus, we are going to tell others about him. We're going to talk about evangelism. Now, it won't be as scary as what you're thinking in your head, okay? So we're just going to set aside fears, and we're going to get to the root of some of these issues. So I'm going to pray, and then we will be in John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. Pray with me. Father God, thank you for this time. Lord, I pray that you would move and stir in our hearts, and you would get to root-level issues of who you are as God. Jesus, we love you. I pray that you would think with my mind, and and Lord, my words would be your words, and it's in Jesus' name, amen. This picture of Jesus is a very bad picture of Jesus. I'm not sure where Jesus was when he got this picture taken of him, but it was not a super great moment for him. I don't understand the perfectly combed hair and beard. He's got a great beard, and I'm not sure why there's a little bit of blush on his cheeks, but either way, this is an inaccurate and made-up version of Jesus. See, pictures like this make it seem like this version of Jesus really can't help me that much. Like, um, I could for sure, I I mean, I'm not a trained fighter, but I could for sure accidentally beat this guy up. I mean, on on a complete accident, I could probably do that. Now, if I'm going to tell other people about Jesus, it needs to be a biblical view of Jesus. Because a right view will change not only your relationship with Jesus, but it will also change how you evangelize to other people. See, uh, the last time that I preached, uh, you can go back and uh, on, online if you want to hear that uh, sermon the last time I preached, but I shared a story of how I failed miserably sharing my faith. I mean, it was a total disaster. So if you want to hear more about my failures, you can go listen to that sermon. But today, I'm going to actually tell you a time where 
I got it right, surprisingly. So it was my first uh, full-time job right out of college. Uh, I was a maintenance guy at a bank, and I was being trained by a guy named Mike. Um, I was being trained by him, and when I got there, I decided I'm going to first talk about Jesus and then let my life back it up. I didn't want to do it the other way around so nothing would be confusing. I wanted to tell him about Jesus. So over the course of the next year of building a friendship and having uh, many spiritual conversations, one day he came up to me and said, How do I get right with God? <laughs> and I thought about that last time. I really messed everything up, and I'm like, surely it won't go that way this time. So thankfully, didn't I got to share the gospel with him? I explained uh, everything to him, and at the end, I asked him, hey, do you want to pray to receive Christ? And he said, no. Now, you may have thought that story was going to go a little bit differently. He thought, yes, and his whole life changed, and, uh, but that's, that's not what happened at all. And I tell that story because God has called me to be faithful far more than he's called me to be successful, which is really difficult because I like to accomplish things. I really like to accomplish things. And let's be honest, I'm going to evangelize to that guy about something at some point, whether that be sports or what Marvel movie is coming out, not until May, boo, or, uh, or, or a good show that I'm watching, or I don't know, maybe Jesus being Lord over my life. I'm going to evangelize to him about something. It might as well be the most important thing um, in my life. You know, another reason I decided to share my faith is because Jesus, most importantly, Jesus had healed some things in my soul and in my life. And my view of Jesus became less of that one and far more of a biblical view. So today in John chapter 4, we're going to uh, read about a woman whose view of Jesus changed everything about her life. Read with me in John chapter 4, we're going to go 1 through 6. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sakar, near a field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. That's noon. See, Jesus was with his disciples going to Galilee. Now, the traditional route to get there was to go all the way around uh, Samaria and to avoid going through Samaria. Didn't want to go through Samaria. So clearly, Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria, right? He didn't have to. He was compelled to. He could have chosen a different route that was tradition to the Jewish people. See, Jews considered Samaritans the worst of the worst type of people, so they avoided them. So they avoided uh, the Samaria and Samaritans altogether. Because Samaria was an interesting place. It was a place where uh, Jewish people also married Gentile people, and they became racially mixed group of people. So Jews and Gentile people saw the Samaritans as half-breeds. Jews and Gentiles were not a fan. And over, the, over time, the religions of Jews and Gentiles, they started to mix some from a little bit of both. And so now what you get, you get a different Bible. 
Now, all of a sudden, you get, uh, you get different temples. You get different worship of false gods. And according to the Jews, this place was considered culturally unclean. It was dirty. Jewish priests even prayed crazy prayers that God would not save the Samaritans and they would not forgive the other people in the political aisle. I mean, he would not say he would not forgive the other people in Samaria. He would not forgive them. They, Jews, Jewish priests actually prayed that type of prayer. And Jesus, oh, I love Jesus. He had the nerve to take his Jewish disciples uh, not the traditional route all the way around, but right through what was considered culturally dirty. Because Jesus chooses people over policy and tradition every time. That's what Jesus says. He chooses people over policy and tradition every time. And eventually, uh, they get to Jacob's well at noon. What is Jacob's well? Well, if you really want to know, you can go back to Genesis and Joshua and read all about it. Basically, it's where Jacob, he bought land, and he gave that land to Joseph. Jacob was later buried there, and the reason it's called Jacob's well is simply because the well is on Jacob's land. It's really that simple. I was kind of in my study. I was hoping there would be something like really significant and profound, and I'm like, oh, he just owns the land. Okay, that makes sense. So on their, on their travels, he's, Jesus stops. He stops at this well because in his human flesh, Jesus being fully God and fully man, in his humanness, he got tired, so he stops for a break. And now this is where everything gets really, really interesting. Read with me in verses 7 to 9, three short verses. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So it's just this woman and Jesus. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, asked for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, not only did Jews and Samaritans not get along because of racial and religious differences, uh, in the Middle Eastern culture, men are not to talk to women that aren't family in public. Okay? So a, a man who is not, um, has some sort of relation to this woman is not going to engage them publicly. So in three really short verses, we have a lot going on here. There, the tension is insane. In three short verses, we see a Jew addressing a Gentile. Now we have racial tensions. We have a man addressing a woman, and now we have gender tensions. We have a Jewish man asking something from a Samaritan woman. Now we have religious tensions. Do you feel the tension? Okay, there is a lot going on here. And now, if you're reading this through the lens of 2020, your assumption is uh, you're going to ask the question, are they going to start screaming and yelling at each other, talking over each other? They may even go to Facebook, and I'm going to tell you how I really feel, and here's an article to prove my point. No, that's not what happens. Because... Bible, uh, the context of the Bible really matters because Jesus knows that this woman has a story, just like you have a story, just like I have a story. See, the story of this woman is a tough one. It's a difficult one. And what we know so far uh, about this woman is that she's drawing water from a well at noon in a desert. 
at noon in a desert by herself. See, in this culture, uh, a predominantly uh, female activity was to draw water from the well, but you wouldn't do it in the hottest part of the day, at noon. You would do it in the morning when it's cool, right? You would, go, uh, you would go when it's cool and not in the hottest part of the day. So not only would you go when it's cooler, but women also did this as a social gathering place. So talk about the day's, uh, the, the day's activity and what happened yesterday with, with little Hezekiah. And they would have all of these things that they would talk about as a social gathering place. So why wouldn't she go there to socialize and draw water in the cool of the morning? Well, she's been rejected by her community. We'll get to more of the reasons why in just a little bit. And that's why she's alone there at noon in the heat of the day. See, Jesus is intentional here, right? This is why he had to go to Samaria, break all cultural barriers, barriers to go through there, because this woman needs a different kind of water from a different kind of well. So Jesus explains more here in 10 through 15. He says, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and livestock. Seems like you pick a different place. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become um, in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Love this part. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty to have to come here to draw water. So this is living water that Jesus is talking about. This is living water. Jesus is using a metaphor to explain a literal truth, that the water from this well is a temporary fix to a material problem. But what Jesus is offering is a permanent fix to an immaterial need. That's what Jesus is offering. So here at Jacob's well, Jesus tells this woman, listen, you can drink of the water of your history and tradition, but what I have for you is living water to eternal life. And then do you see in verse 15, her response, it's an amazing response. What does she say? She says, yes, Jesus, give me this living water. Now, how amazing is this that, that she responds yes to Jesus? Now, this is where you and I, and even us as a church, this is where you and I, we would go home and we would celebrate that we have evangelized, we did our part, we went out of our comfort zone, I've gone out of my way culturally speaking to talk to this woman about Jesus, and this person said yes to the living water of Jesus, and we would celebrate that, and we would be right to celebrate that. But Jesus does not stop at a superficial yes, because Jesus doesn't only save you for you to get to heaven. He sends the Holy Spirit for you to live. Oh, help me, Jesus. That's the difficult part, isn't it? That's the difficult part. So Jesus here presses the gas forward. He presses the conversation from a surface level, yes, to a deep ocean dive. And in verses 16 to 19, we get to listen to this conversation. It goes like this. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you were right in saying I have no husband, for you have had 
five husbands. The one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. That's, a, that's an astute call uh, from a very intelligent woman. Um, Jesus says, hey, I'm, I'm really thankful and I'm glad that you want this living water. In order for you to get that, the, the path to that is for you to go find your husband. You, you need to go get your husband. And then, of course, she admits, I don't have a husband. And that's true. It's absolutely true. What we see here is a partial confession. Uh, Pastor Justin uh, had a, a phenomenal ser sermon on confession last week. I would encourage you to go listen to that if you haven't, because he explains all of this in, in, in great detail. And Jesus loves this woman enough uh, for her not to live in the bondage of partial confession. The bondage of partial confession. Because to have any part of your life hidden is to be unknown. Not to everybody and their mama. Not everyone needs to know your mess. But there's a one or a few people who need to know all of it. They have to know all of it. Because listen, to be fully known and fully loved by God, um, by someone, to be fully known and be fully loved by someone is to tangibly experience the grace of God, listen, from an imperfect person. How much more so are you loved by Jesus, who is perfect? I mean, think about it. If you can be fully known, all of your stuff is out there to an imperfect person who loves you, not based on the things that you've done or the things that has happened to you, that type of love and grace literally changes a person. How much more so from the God of the universe? Game changer. So this woman suspects that, rightly so, that Jesus is a prophet because he tells her that you've had five Husbands, and the guy that you're shacking up with now, that's your boyfriend, and that's not your husband. And now we see why she's coming to the well at noon, alone, by herself. Why she's been ostracized from her community. She's had five ex-husbands, either through death or divorce, we don't know. And she's living with her boyfriend now, who won't commit to her. This woman is clearly trapped in this repetitive cycle of sin. Um, it's the same person, or it's the same problem with a different person. Um, if I could use a metaphor with her life, what she's trying to do is hold water in broken jars. It just keeps leaking out over and over again. So she keeps having to go back to the well to fill it up. Only this time to find a savior of the world offering her something eternal. A different kind of water from a different kind of well. By the way, when we read this story, we're not Jesus in this story, okay? We are the Samaritan woman. And we do this, don't we? We do this. We're like the Samaritan woman. Now, um, uh, I, I do this to you often when I teach. I introduce you to another Christian rapper that I enjoy. This one's name is Nathan, and he has a great segment in one of his songs about sin. Maybe you can relate to this. It goes like this. So we've all got something that we've trapped inside, that we try to suffocate, you know, hoping it dies, try to hold it underwater, but it always survives. Then it comes up out of nowhere like an evil surprise, then hovers over you to tell you millions of lies. 
You may or may not be able to relate to that, but my guess is that you probably can, just like I can, just like I can. And we find ourselves, when we're in this situation, running to the same sins to try to find comfort over and over again, only to find that they're broken jars. Only to find that they're broken jars because that's all we have ever been taught. That's all we've ever known. That's all this woman has ever known. And friends, I'm here to tell you today, online and in person, that Jesus is offering you something different right now. Something completely different now. Just like he is with this woman. He's offering her something completely different. One that you don't have to keep going back to find comfort in broken jars, only to go back and to go back and to go back. It's exhausting. So she says yes to Jesus. And my guess, now this is conjecture, this is reading into the text. So listen, my guess is when she said yes to Jesus, she didn't think she'd have to talk about all this mess, right? She didn't think she'd have to bring up her five ex-husbands and her live-in boyfriend now. We do this all, sometimes. We'll go, Jesus, please save me, but my mess back here is just too messy. That thing with my kids, that thing in my past, that thing with my spouse, my, uh, my friends and my coworkers, that's just too messy. Jesus, save my soul. Yes, per, uh, please and amen, but back here, it's just too messy. I don't want you to mess with that, Jesus. And my guess is that all of us, in some capacity, have a different version of this woman's husband situation. It's a different version. Um, most of the time, when, uh, when you touch a scar, if you have a scar, when you touch that scar, you can feel the damage that was done, but it doesn't hurt. Jesus here is pressing into an open wound into this woman's life. And oftentimes what we'll do is we can trust Jesus for salvation, but we have this deep wound of sin that either we did or someone did to us that we just don't want Jesus to touch. And at the root level of why we don't want Jesus to touch it is because we don't believe that Jesus is either good enough, strong enough, uh, and he can't handle it or heal it. This is a um, perfectly combed hair blush uh, well-oiled. And this wound can come from many places. It can come from sin that I have committed against someone else. It can come from uh, racial wounds. It can come from father wounds, abuse, sexual sins, religious abuse. And the list goes on and on and we can keep going. And at the root level of why um, I believe that we, uh, um, that Jesus, that we don't share Jesus with others for Jesus to heal them, is because we don't believe that Jesus can do it with us. The reason we don't share our faith for Jesus to heal someone is because we don't think that Jesus is actually strong enough to do it with us. We believe a picture of Jesus has perfectly combed hair that he can flip in the wind, and the dude couldn't win a thumb war fight. You know, um, one, two, three, four, I declare a thumb war, he loses every time let alone worship a God who can actually help me in my weakness or heal my brokenness. As we get water from a different type of well right now. Now, I, I recently had this in my life, okay? I had a, I had a weak uh, picture of Jesus when it specifically came to, uh, to race and politics. 
It won't get as weird as what you think, okay? You, you, just, just bear with me. Um, I, I recently had to deal with this, okay? Because um, when, it be, when it came to race and politics, those things combined, not necessarily race, not necessarily just politics, but those things combined, I had a lot of emotions in regards to race and politics. There was, I had lots of emotions in regards to those things. So I had, what I had to do is I had to decide, are my emotions right or are God's word right? Do they match? What's going on here? I didn't evaluate. So what I did is I went to God's word and, and through the Holy Spirit, through God's word, it was revealed to me that my emotions indicated that I was putting my hope in policy and legislation for reconciliation and not Jesus. You know, the Bible dictated, it got to tell me that my emotions were wrong. I, I had misplaced trust. And I needed to be reminded and believe that Jesus provides reconciliation, not policy. Not policy. I needed a reminder that the God of the Bible is ferocious and fierce. He's also tender. He's also kind. That my God gets angry at injustice and he even flips tables. He was murdered on the cross. He also extends grace to sinners just like me. I, need, I needed those reminders. So Jesus, in his kindness, reopens the wound of this woman because he wants her to truly be healed and to truly be set free. Because Jesus knows, like you and I know, instinctively that you and I know this, that we can't fight the devil in the dark. We can't do it. We can't fight the devil in the dark. We have to bring it to the light. See the confession sermon last week. Okay, We have to bring it to the light. But this woman is just like us. This woman is just, is just like us. Um, uh, when Jesus starts to confront her on the sins, this is what she does. She immediately changes the subject. She's just like us. Let's see how she changes the subject in verses uh, 20 to 25. It just kind of comes up out of nowhere. He says, our fathers worshiped on, <laughs> I don't know, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews, meaning Jesus. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in truth and spirit. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. He will tell us all things. So what she does here is she changes the subject from uh, uh, what is happening in her heart to a theological controversy of the day. Uh, she changes the conversation from all of her ex-husband and current living boyfriend um, to, to worship sites. She just completely changes the subject. 
maybe you have done this, like I have done this, and um, unfortunately continue to do this, uh, that would be like you and I are being confronted on sin, either from scripture, from a friend, um, and we know that it's wrong, and we don't really like it, so we just change the subject that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. So we'll go, we don't like it, we'll go, well, well, what about the Bible and sexuality? What about all the errors in the Bible? What about those things? What about predestination and free will? The reason I have that voice is because that's how I sound when I'm trying to change the subject on my wife. That's how I sound. I'm like, what about this, okay? And I just try to change the subject because I don't want to deal with what actually is going on, okay? This woman is doing the exact same thing. And how Jesus approaches it is actually really interesting. Jesus briefly validates her while explaining a better reality. Jesus tells her that she is right to worship, and her worship is misplaced. Her worship is misplaced, and there's going to come a day, there's going to come a day when the Holy Spirit will come, and and she can truly worship anywhere. And her response is quite interesting. She says, uh, her response is, uh, the person who will enable us to do that, to worship anywhere in spirit and in truth, he will be called Christ. He will be called the Messiah. Oh, Samaritan woman, you have a surprise for you because in verse 26, Jesus says this, I who speak to you am he. How incredible Jesus at this moment reveals himself to be the Messiah. This is who this woman has been looking for. The living water is actually here. And Jesus is offering salvation, offering living water to this Samaritan woman right now. And this is the crazy part. Jesus didn't say, hey, you need to clean yourself up first and go break up with your boyfriend before you can do this. Do you, do you hear me? You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to uh, do, you don't have to sew your own stitches on your wound. Jesus is the physician. You don't have to clean yourself up. Jesus does it for you. And this is the kind of Jesus that I can worship. This is the kind of Jesus that I can worship. A Jesus who will break all the barriers in the world to get to this woman because that's exactly what Jesus does with you. A a, a Jesus who is so kind and loving that he offers to heal your wounds because that's exactly what Jesus does with me. A Jesus who could care less about the racial divide, the religious divide, the moral divide between these two, and the cultural divide and cares more about the person's soul because that's exactly what Jesus does with us. Friends, unity in our world will not come from legislation, politics, policy, or human power. It is only by the gospel where that will happen. Only by the gospel alone. And there is no policy that can actually transform hearts. There's none. That monopoly belongs to the Holy Spirit. He transforms hearts. He's really good at it. He's been doing it for a very, very long time. At transforming hearts. He's excellent at it. None of we, so we can get all fired up about politics all day long and we're missing the gospel in its place. So if we want to reach people for the gospel, I mean, this is, a, this is part of our vision statement as a church, that every person together would follow Jesus. If we want to reach uh, our community for the gospel, we need to believe it ourselves because it's impossible to give what you don't have, right? It's impossible to give what you don't have. So if, if, if we don't uh, believe that through the gospel that Jesus can heal you, 
Well, there's no reason to tell someone else about that same healing that Jesus can provide them. And there needs to be a, a deep-seated belief in a Romans 5 a that Jesus died for us while we were at our worst. And Jesus did not come to me in my goodness, but he died for me in my brokenness when I was at my worst. See, and the story doesn't stop there. Let me summarize for you verses 27 through 45 because this woman's life is completely transformed. Uh, this woman with an extremely difficult past, uh, she begins to tell everyone uh, about Jesus. All of those who had pushed her out to the outside of the community, she began to tell all those people about Jesus because she had experienced a strong and gracious Jesus who healed her to her very core. She didn't stop at the superficial yes. Even when she tried to change the subject when things got messy, she, she hung in there. And she can now express uh, that healing toward other people because she has been healed. Now, it would be really easy as an action step for this sermon for me just to tell you, hey, you need to share your faith with like two or three people this week. Uh, but what good is that? What's the point if you haven't been healed like this woman has been healed? So my, my action step uh, after this sermon would, for you to, would be for you to do business with the God of the world, of this universe, to have him actually heal those wounds so, that, so they can become scars. Because when we have a right view of Jesus, our wounds become scars that tell of the faithfulness toward us, of God's faithfulness toward us in difficult times. To put it this way, your mess all of a sudden becomes your ministry, just like it did for this woman. She, did, she disregarded her reputation and said, I have been healed, let me tell you about this healing. Transformed her whole life, it actually transformed her community. So I'm gonna close with this. The placement of this passage is really interesting because in John chapter three, Jesus encounters a man by the name of Nicodemus. This is where we get uh, John 3.16. He encounters a man by the name of Nicodemus. And, and this, is, um, this is a moral man, Nicodemus is. This is, a, this is an influential man. This is a powerful man, okay? And then in contrast, in John chapter 4, we see a woman who remains nameless. We still don't know who this woman's name is. We know her as the Samaritan woman. So she has no name. Uh, she is immoral over and above. She is completely powerless. You know, in John chapter 3, what Jesus teaches us is that no one is beyond the need of grace. And in John chapter 4, Jesus teaches us that no one is beyond the reach of grace. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for extending grace to people like me, to people um, like those, um, like the Samaritan woman. Jesus, in your kindness, you, you choose to do surgery. In your kindness, you choose to love us. You choose to not let us stay at a superficial yes, but you send the Holy Spirit for us to live. Jesus, I pray that we would, that we would receive healing from you, that our wounds um, are, are, are in your gentle care. That our battles, that our um, that our battle scars are are yours to give you glory. They're for us to tell of your faithfulness, Jesus. We love you. Transform us, and it's in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about fellowship or how to get connected, visit our website at fbclife.org and follow us on social media, 417 Fellowship.